Hello and welcome to the Victorian Gas Lamp, the podcast shining a warm light on the 19th century and most notably throughout the reign of Her Majesty Queen Victoria. Episode 22, Something Smells in Your Neighbourhood. During the 1800s, London saw an incredible expansion in its population. I've spoken of this before, but for this story I do need to emphasise just how crowded the city had become. The population was around 1 million people in 1801, but by 1860 the city was home to over 6 million people. London was larger by a full quarter than the next biggest city, Beijing, and five times the size of New York. And with all those people came waste. There was the huge volume of horses in the city as well, creating manure every day. Given that every horse produces around about 20 pounds of manure a day, it's about six kilos, you're starting to see a lot of waste and the sheer volume of it meant that it really wasn't being cleaned up. Now, there were sewers in London. Brick ones had been built from as early as the 17th century, and by the time we get to the 1850s, there were over 200,000 cesspits and 360 sewers. Those sewers had originally been made of wood, and they were now being replaced but some of the cesspits leaked methane gas, which would catch fire and explode. Exciting times in old London town, hey? The more efficient new pipes combined with the invention of flushing toilets, as well as the increased non-stop outflow from factories, slaughterhouses and other industries, meant that even with the increase in the system, more and more effluent was flowing into the Thames. In 1855, scientist Michael Faraday sent a letter to the Times newspaper stating his shock at the state of the river. Quote, the smell was very bad and common to the whole of the water. It was the same as that which now comes up from the gully holes in the streets. The whole river, for the time, was a real sewer. End quote. The government even resorted to pouring chemicals such as chalk lime, chloride of lime, and carbolic acid into the waterway to alleviate the stench. In previous episodes, and I have no doubt future ones, I have spoken about how people during this time thought it was smells that caused sickness. This miasma theory was still prevalent in the 1850s and was blamed for the constant bouts of the deadly cholera that would spread throughout the city, causing untold numbers of deaths. It was very fast and had a high mortality rate, and for obvious reasons, it was greatly feared by everyone. To give you some sort of idea of numbers, the records show that when it actually struck in 1831, it killed 6,536 people. The next major outbreak in 1848-49 took another 14,137 lives, 
and the third outbreak in 1853-54 killed over 10,000 people. These days, if just one dies from an infection like cholera or as simple as the flu, it makes the news, particularly in our current environment, but this was a city experiencing huge numbers of death and they had no way of stopping it. You might remember back in episode 5 when I spoke about how the legend that was, Dr. Jon Snow, firmly believed that cholera was caused by something in the water. At this time, his ideas were in the minority and pretty much dismissed. Londoners went about their lives in that stench, knowing that another outbreak was inevitable. But there was one man working on that problem. A former engineer for the railways and now assistant surveyor for the Metropolitan Commission of Sewers named Joseph Bazalgette. Born on the 28th of March 1819, he was the son of a retired Navy captain. Joseph spent many years working on the railways, including those in China. He set up his own consultancy in 1842 and married Maria Ku in 1845. But his exhaustive work regimen meant that he suffered a nervous breakdown in 1847. After recovering from his illness in 1849, Basil was appointed as the aforementioned assistant surveyor and the workload was massive with a capital M. So much so, his boss, the chief engineer, died in 1852 from, quote, harassing fatigues and anxieties, end quote. So it's quite the job. Now, after I had done that podcast notes for the Isambard Brunel episode, I wanted to do something other than just a person. Across the books I've been reading and the online research, the term The Great Stink was popping up as a big event. And let's face it, the name itself was born for a podcast. I like to mix it up a little bit, covering someone's life, maybe an event or an oddity like a Great Stink, makes for entertaining episodes. So, it's at this point that I have to say that part of the reason that Joseph Bazalgette got his position was on the recommendation of a pre-eminent Londoner. One Isambard Kingdom, Brunel. I'm not kidding, it's a weird synchronicity for you right there. But with such a recommendation from such an esteemed engineer, Bazalgette got the job in 1856. He began work on the sewers, designing a system to not only meet the needs of London now, but also anticipating the future increases in the population. His mission was to remove the general revolting smell in London, and he was wholly committed to doing so. The reports still exist today, showing that he personally signed off on every pipe after inspecting them. But... As he began his Herculean task, London was still struggling with the smell. In a letter to a friend during this time, author Charles Dickens said, quote, I can certify that the offensive smells, even in that short whiff, have been of a most head and stomach distending nature. End quote. And in June of 1858, London went 
and had a record hot summer. Recorded average temperatures of 34 in the shade and 48 in the sun. That's Celsius uh, for you on the Fahrenheit. That is 97 and 118. Okay, yes, I live in Australia. And while those temperatures don't actually scare me, being in 48 degrees in the city that has sewage problems is something that I really don't want to experience. It would be gross. And these sorts of temperatures continued for weeks, which caused the massively polluted Thames dropping its water levels to the point where raw effluent from the sewers remained sitting on the banks of the Thames. Can you imagine? Reportedly, Her Majesty Queen Victoria and Prince Albert tried taking a pleasure cruise on the Thames, but returned to shore within minutes due to the stench. And the complaints by the various newspapers at the time took to calling this the Great Stink, which gets to the point and is catchy, I agree. The city press reported that gentility of speech is at an end. It stinks, and whoso once inhales the stink can never forget it and count himself lucky if he lives to remember it. I love when someone uses language for a great burn, and it gets better. The Illustrated London News commented that We can colonise the remotest ends of the earth. We can conquer India. We can pay the interest on the most enormous debt ever contracted. We can spread our name and our fame and our fructifying wealth to every part of the world. But we cannot clean the River Thames. Now that's a burn. That whole Victorian belief in miasma of smells causing ill health meant that even Parliament was affected. Fearful of what might be caught by the esteemed members of the English Parliament, the officers had the curtains on the river side soaked in lime chloride in an attempt to overcome the smell. So imagine the smell of a heavily chlorinated pool or the smell of bleach and that will give you some idea of the smell that they were using to try and cover the stink from the river outside. And it didn't work. So concerned were they with these smells causing illness among the politicians, that discussion was given to possibly moving the entire parliament to Oxford or St Albans. As it was, lime continued to be used in an attempt to alleviate this stink with over 200 tonnes being used near the mouths of the sewers, costing a small fortune. Prime Minister Benjamin Disraeli described the times as, quote, reeking with ineffable and intolerable horrors, end quote. He went on to outline the funding of £3 million, which a three-penny levy on all London households for the next 40 years would be paying back. And for the record, this was a plan that followed Bazalgette's original ideas, and these plans were approved and passed into law in August of 1858. Over the next decade or so, the city changed as embankments were built along the Thames to help provide drainage. On the northern side of the river, Bazalgette built the Victoria Embankment that ran from Westminster to Blackfriars Bridge, 
and the Chelsea embankment that ran from Millbank to Chelsea. On the southern side of the river, the Albert embankment, named for Prince Albert obviously, ran from Lambeth to Vauxhall. These embankments had an added bonus of easing the incredible levels of congestion in the area as well, and when the last of them, the Chelsea embankment, was finished in 1874, the embankment project was described as a work of national importance. Bazalgette described the work as one of the most difficult and intricate things the Metropolitan Board of Water had had to do. Finally, the whole project was completed in 1875, requiring 318 million bricks and 880,000 cubic yards of concrete and mortar. The finished project saw Joseph Bazalgette become Sir Joseph Bazalgette after Queen Victoria knighted him. During the building of the embankments and huge miles of tunnels being built in 1866, there was yet another breakout of cholera. Tragically, another 5,596 lives were lost. 93% of these deaths were all in a specific area of the East End of London. It had yet to be connected to the already well-established Bazalgette system and was found to have problems caused by the East London Water Company. They had been discharging their sewer into the Thames 800 metres downstream. The tidal effects of the Thames, however, carried it north and contaminated the drinking water in the area. With this tragic event, people finally started realising it wasn't just the smell, but something in the water that was causing the outbreaks. But with the incredible work of Sir Joseph and his workers, this would actually be the last outbreak of cholera ever in London. In the years preceding Sir Joseph's work, literally tens of thousands of Londoners had died of a disease believed caused by smell. Parliament almost had to relocate. The Queen couldn't even go for a boat ride. I mean, really? And then Sir Joseph changed London. And after saving London from itself, he was later made President of the Institution of Civil Engineers in 1883. He and his wife had 11 children, so we could always say that he was busy at work and even busier at home. He died in 1891 and was buried in St Mary's Church at Wimbledon, near where he had been living. The Great Stink of 1858 was a huge event that not only changed the way that London dealt with their waste, but also in the way that they perceived illness. The concept that it was only the smell causing the illness dissipated with the stink that Sir Joseph removed. Historian John Doxett stated that Sir Joseph, quote, probably did more good and saved more lives than any single Victorian official, end quote. He's been described by historian Peter Ackroyd as a hero of London. The Times newspaper in his obituary stated that because of his work, he had added 20 years to their chance of life, to every Londoner, literally millions of them. And now that's a legacy. 
So here endeth this shorter episode. Uh, just a quick shout out to Seth over there in Michigan, USA. He's a chippy, also known as a carpenter. <laughs> That's what we call him here. Uh, he's in the process of renovating an 1861 farmer's market at Greenfield Village. It's very cool, Seth. He reached out just to say hi and is enjoying the episodes. Thank you very much, mate. Keep listening. You can find me at victoriangaslab.com. My contact details are on there as well. If you could follow me on Twitter, that'd be great at Vic Gaslamp and more importantly on Instagram where I post history facts and trivia as well as photos related to the episodes and I'm Victorian Gaslamp there as well. The next episode will be out in two weeks so keep a lookout for that and I'll see you next time under the Gaslamp. <laughs>